Well, good evening, everyone, and it's really good to be uh, here with you tonight. I'm sorry I can't be there with you in person, but I'm looking forward to that day uh, when I can. And uh, who knows, that might be soon. Uh, but still, at the same time, very thankful that we can meet together, whether in person for you there uh, at church looking at the screen. I can't see you, unfortunately, uh, or on Zoom. And I can see uh, some of you as well. So it's good to see you uh, or on YouTube. Isn't it amazing that with the technology, we can still meet together to sing God, God's praises, to hear God's word, uh, to pray. Uh, what a privilege we have. Um, there's many churches not able to do what we're doing. And there's many people around the world not able to meet together um, or maybe only in small numbers because they're in hiding or, or whatever. So let's be thankful for what we can do. And I'd just like to add my thanks to the musicians uh, for week by week singing. Um, and I know there's a lot of work that goes on into the early hours to put those songs together. And certainly over this last year, they've been a real blessing to me. So thank you. Uh, from me, and I'm sure others would want to add to that as well. Tonight, I want us to think about the quest for wisdom. And we had that uh, wonderful passage in Job. It's a great passage, and I would encourage you to uh, read it again. Um, uh, not now, but later on before you go to bed. Uh, have another read of that passage and just think about uh, some of the imagery that's in there and, and what it's saying. And then Barclay's just read uh, those verses from James uh, for us and begins with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And that is a challenging question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And I'm not asking for hands up because I'm sure none of us would want to put our hands up to that, as it were. Um, and there's a challenge here to show it uh, in the way that we live. It's a good question to ask and a good question for us to think about, uh, thinking about wisdom. The Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. And wisdom, as described in the Bible, is something is, that's concrete and real and uh, not just a concept or an idea. Uh, it's often spoke, uh, spoken about as a, as a skill for, for living. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom uh, you read a lot about wisdom, the book of wisdom, Proverbs. And in the first nine chapters, you read much about wisdom and wisdom is portrayed as a woman. And uh, this woman has a, a commanding presence and and summons and calls people boldly and loudly. Wisdom is uh, this 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 woman is described as an alluring woman who builds a house and invites people to this lavish banquet and say, come and feast on wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, uh, the writer of the book of Proverbs write to the son or a son and urges his son to have a love affair with wisdom. Do not forsake her. Love her. Prize her highly. Embrace her. We all need wisdom. Uh, tonight, we all need wisdom. I can't rely on your wisdom. And I think I would say, thankfully, you can't rely on my wisdom. Thomas read for us that wonderful passage in Job 28, which is is a in my Bible. It says a discourse on wisdom, a poem about wisdom. And there in that uh, uh, passage, that chapter, and we're not going to look at the whole chapter in detail tonight. We're not going to do that. But there in the the chapter, Job chapter 28, 
there's two questions asked about wisdom. And the two questions are this. Where is it found? And where is it from? Where is it found? And where is it from? I think if we look back over history and the history of our world, it's a search for wisdom. And we're still searching and we're still looking. I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by um, uh, space and space travel and what's happened recently, just last month when they landed that uh, one ton rover on Mars. Isn't that an amazing accomplishment to send something out to a little dot in the sky and land a car on Mars and drive it? I find it absolutely fascinating. And not only that, they're going to fly a helicopter from it as well. Isn't it amazing what we can do with knowledge that we have? But whenever whenever you hear about Mars and uh, it's always described as a, a search for Mars, is the life on Mars? It's always described as trying to find answers to questions. And, uh, you know, as they're looking for signs of life, that the, the were signs of has been life on Mars, asking that question. Uh, to help us understand how did life begin? Where did life come from? It's all part of a, a search and a quest for wisdom. And this search for this pearl of great price, if we can call it that, this search for this pearl of great price has occupied every age and every generation. And still we have these big questions that we we don't have answers to. Well, we do have answers to, but there are answers that many people don't have answers to. Where are we from and why are we here and where are we going? Again, in Proverbs 4, we have another picture. There's a lot of imagery of what wisdom is like. And chapter four, wisdom is portrayed as a as precious jewels and riches and of great value. Verse 14 in Proverbs says that she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Verse 15, she is more precious than rubies. Verse 9, described as a garland of grace on your head, a beautiful crown. This wisdom is 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 depicted as a, 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 a not just a, a woman, but a precious jewel and great riches. And this Job chapter 28 is all about wisdom and the first part of the passage and I don't know if you noticed it as Thomas read for us it's, it begins with our our great ability to search the first 11 verses our great ability to search for things to understand things and to find things and it's a, a remarkable passage as we read of of being taken into the depths of the earth and uh uh, and miners going down into the face of the earth, searching for precious metals and stones. And I think that depicts this search for wisdom, search for answers. We uh, like to think that our generation is, is clever uh, and that people a long time ago weren't. Now, we are clever. We do achieve great things. Isn't it amazing that with a pandemic that has hit this world, we can come up with a vaccine and a little shot in your arm and it protects you from it. It's amazing what science can accomplish. It's amazing that we can, as I say, put a rover on Mars and drive it. It's amazing what we can do. And this first half of chapter 28 speaks of our great ability to search. Job is probably one of the oldest books in the Bible. And, and to speak about those thousands of years ago, 
when people were digging down into the uh, mines and the ground, how did they know that those precious things were there? But it's remarkable what they're able to do. And uh, a very uh, descriptive language of of going down into the face of the earth. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to the darkness. He searches the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Isn't that remarkable? Far from where people dwell, he cuts a shaft in places forgotten by the foot of man. Far from men, he dangles and sways. What a great picture that is of someone hanging from a rope down a shaft, searching for precious metals. He tunnels through the rock. His eyes see all its treasures. He searches the sources of the rivers and brings things, uh, brings hidden things to light. We have a remarkable ability to bring hidden things to light. And uh, that's the story of science. And uh, I love science. I'm an engineer. Uh, and to me, science is the discovery of God's world. And uh, it's remarkable what has been achieved and what we're able to do. So this Job chapter 28 begins with our great ability to, to, to search. But then it goes on in the second part and continues with our great inability to understand. Look at what it says in verse 12 of Job 28. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with finest, with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or sapphires. You see, we have a great ability to search and to discover things. But we have a great inability to understand. And uh, there's a lot of ability, but there isn't much wisdom. Today, we have the wonder of technology. And isn't it amazing that we can be in different places, whether on Zoom or YouTube or in the church? And who knows, there might be people listening tonight on YouTube from elsewhere in the world. Isn't it amazing what we can do? But yet we still lack wisdom. And we have information overload and uh, IT information technology. And there is so much information out there. Um, we have information overload and a lot of information, but not much wisdom. So this Job 28 begins with our great ability to search. It continues with our great ability, uh, great inability to understand. But then it concludes by telling us where wisdom is found. And there's various verses that speak in there. Look at verse 23. God understands the way to it and he alone knows where it dwells. And then that great verse, verse 28, the last verse of Job 28, 28, 28, easy to remember. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. 
when I was doing my engineering degree in my final year, I had to do a project or a dissertation. And I wrote in the front of it, Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think at that time, I thought a good verse to put there just to remind uh, myself of what is important, whether I fully understand what either was. I'm not sure. But but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what I want us to do now is to think about uh, seven things about wisdom. Uh, some come out from this passage, some come out from this passage in James chapter three, and some come out from elsewhere. Seven things about wisdom. And we're not talking about the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom which is from God. I don't know if you noticed when Barclay read those verses in James chapter three, that um, it speaks about two kinds of wisdom. So seven things about wisdom. Number one is this. Firstly, it cannot be bought with money. It cannot be bought with money. I looked up this week and it's estimated that 271 billion pounds has been spent on the covid crisis. But money cannot buy wisdom. It very often seems that those people who have the most money have the biggest problems and and, and lack this wisdom. As it said in uh, this passage in Job, uh, the price of wisdom is far above rubies. Money is not the answer. Money and all it can achieve and does achieve does not find wisdom. So firstly, wisdom, it cannot be bought with money. And then secondly, it is not easily found. So, yes, we maybe realise that money can't buy it, but it isn't easily found. It says there in Job 28, where can wisdom be found? In verse 20, where does wisdom come from? In verse 21 and 22, it's hidden from the eyes of the living. Just because uh, as we, you know, as I look at you tonight and uh, just think about all of us, whether you're gathered at church or listening on Zoom or listening on YouTube, we might be wealthy. We might be able. We might be smart. We might be clever or any combination of all of those. But that alone does not mean we're wise. In fact, I wonder if some of those things can actually get in the way of finding true wisdom. So secondly, it cannot easily be found. And then thirdly, I think we sort of hinted at it already, but uh, but just want to make the point that true wisdom is different than knowledge. True wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is like knowing that the speed limit is 30 miles an hour. Wisdom is keeping to the speed limit or even going even slower, depending on what's happening around. Knowledge is facts and information. Wisdom is what you do with it. Uh, our media, whether it be the mainstream media or the social media, claims to be full of knowledge. It's certainly full of information and it claims to be full of knowledge. And wisdom is realising that much of it isn't true. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and you can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the beginning of the chapter there, he speaks to these strong Christians as they as he describes them. Uh, 
and he speaks to them of those who are with knowledge. And he says to them, be careful because knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes you proud. I think the Pharisees were like that. The Pharisees, they knew so much. They had so much knowledge. They knew the law, but they were proud. Knowledge puffs up and uh, goes on to say, but love builds up. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we shouldn't have knowledge. I'm not saying we should despise knowledge. There, there are some people who are like that. I'm not saying that at all. But we must be careful what we do with the knowledge that we have and the abilities that we have and the things that we achieve. Because, as I say, Paul warns that church in Corinth because the danger is that it makes us proud. True wisdom is different than knowledge. And then fourthly, true wisdom begins with salvation. True wisdom begins with salvation. In the verses that uh, Barker read for us in James 3, James uh, writing, he, he contrasts wisdom from above with wisdom from below or the wisdom of this world with the wisdom that is from God. Listen to what he says. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That wisdom from God is different than the world's wisdom and true wisdom begins with salvation, begins with trusting in Christ. If we're not trusting in him, then we haven't got true wisdom and we can't have true wisdom and we won't have true wisdom. Oh, yes, we might be clever and we might have a lot of knowledge and know a lot of things and even have great abilities and achieve great things. But we won't have God's wisdom. We can't have it without Christ. You see, true wisdom is from God. And that's what that Job 28 hints at. It, it, it's God who's who's the source of true wisdom. And it's the fear of him that is the way we get wisdom. True wisdom is from God and can only be found by those or in those who trust in Christ. So, as I say, I, I don't know all of you tonight. I know faces that I can see on Zoom. Um, I'm sure there'll be people on YouTube who I know as well and there at the building. But there may be some that I don't know and I look forward to meeting you someday. But are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? There's no other name under heaven whereby we might be saved. And true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God, it begins by trusting in Christ. But then we go on because true wisdom, and this is number five, if you're uh, using the sheet and putting the points down, true wisdom is a mark of salvation. That doesn't only begin with salvation, but it's a mark of salvation. This book of James, which some of you may remember, I preached my way through the book of James a few years ago. Um, this book of James is all about marks of salvation, evidence of salvation, tests of salvation. Because, you see, if we're trusting in Christ, if we're right with God, if we're true Christians, it affects the way we behave. It affects what we do. 
It affects how we respond to trials it's there in James chapter one and difficulties and how we handle temptation. It affects our attitude to the word, to God's word. It affects our attitude to others, the way we speak to them, the way that we care for them. They're all marks of salvation. And there's another one here in these verses in chapter three. Uh, true wisdom is a mark of salvation. It's a demonstration that we are Christians, that we are Christ's people. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. It shows in life by a good life. It's a general conduct, the way we go about our lives. True wisdom from God shows. It shows in our works by the deeds done and by the, the details of our lives, the works that we do. And it shows in our attitudes by deeds done in humility. True wisdom, God's wisdom is a mark of salvation. And then number six, true wisdom and we've hinted at this already, but it's here in this passage. We'll have a little look at it. True wisdom is different from the wisdom of this world. Here in these verses, James speaks about two kinds, one that is true and one that is false. One that is from above and that and one that is from below. One that is the world's wisdom and one which is God's wisdom. And the first a uh, few verses, 14 to 16, speaks about what the world's wisdom is like. If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You see, the wisdom of this world, it comes from within. It comes from the heart. And James says, stop boasting. You're denying the truth. You're denying the gospel by thinking that is God's wisdom. And it's described as not from above. Look at those words that it uses. Earthly, unspiritual, devilish. They're strong words and earthly. As if there's no reference to God, it doesn't rise up above the material world. And isn't that the wisdom of the world? Science, materialism, that's all there is. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's natural. It's sensual. It's from from within the, the framework of humanity. And then uh, an even stronger word, it's devilish. It's rooted in the devil. It's rooted in Satan. The enemy of God. Do you remember there at the beginning of the Bible when Satan and the serpent, serpent came to Adam and Eve? What did he promise them? He promised them wisdom. Your eyes will be open and you will be like God. But that was not God's wisdom. True wisdom is different from the world's wisdom. And this world's wisdom, the result of this kind of wisdom is there in verse 16. It says there you will find disorder and every evil practice, disorder, confusion, chaos. I don't know about you, but as you listen to everything that's being said, 
we have confusion and chaos. Disorder, evil practice, and there's plenty of that around. Oh yes, there is much that is good. And we can look around and see the legacy of what is good. But we have this great ability to turn what is good into what is evil. We think of things like splitting the atom and uh, the ability to generate all that power from that and how it could be used for good. But yet we make a bomb with it to destroy people. Think of drugs, which are, you know, many of us here are probably still alive because of drugs. Great advances. But yet drugs can be uh, uh, are abused. Just think of all that's associated with that. We think of communications and the Internet and all that we can do. But yet as well, we see how it can be taken and abused and leads to disorder and evil practices. You see, this wisdom that is of the world, this kind of wisdom, it cannot find God. Where can wisdom be found? That question in Job. Not here, not in the world's wisdom. It's a wisdom. The world's wisdom is a wisdom that cannot find God and cannot meet our deepest needs. At its best, it's worthless, worthless. And at its worst, it's vile. And then number seven, true wisdom looks like this. And here it is in verse 17. And let's read it again. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. What a description. And uh, maybe you recognize some of that. It sounds a little like the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. And maybe that shouldn't surprise us because at the end of that Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is speaking to them and uses those words, what does he say in Matthew 7? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, the strength of true wisdom is its foundation. And just as the wise man builds his house upon the rock, the strength of true wisdom is in Christ. It's in him. So here's his description of what true wisdom is like. And really, as we draw to a close, I want to challenge all of us is what are we like? And ask ourselves, am I like this? Think of that question. Who is wise and understanding among you? If you are, if you think you are, show it. And this seventh point, if you like, has seven things which describe what true wisdom is like. I'm sure all of us are used to doing little online surveys. You buy something on Amazon or eBay, you get an email a few days later and you, you know, can you do the little survey, say what you think about, how many stars will you give it? Can you rate it between one and 10 as you know, good or bad or, or whatever? Well, let's take a little look at this list and go through it. And let's each one of us do that with this list. Where do we put ourselves on the scale? Uh, are we like it or are we not like it? Put yourself somewhere on the scale, maybe between one and seven. Firstly, true wisdom is pure. It is set apart for God. 
It is holy. It is without sin. It is free from defilement. And in the next chapter, James goes on to speak about purify your hearts, he says. Firstly, it's pure. Secondly, it's peace loving. And that seems to be in contrast to the war and rivalry that we see there in chapter four. Beginning of chapter four, it says, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? You kill and you covet, you quarrel and you fight. You only have to listen to the news and what people say, how people react and the tone of their voice. And you and, and we see what causes fights and quarrels amongst you. Peace loving. If we're in Christ, if we're his, if he's at work in us, then we will be those who are peace loving. Where are we on the scale between one and seven? Thirdly, considerate to others. Speaking of gentleness, not weakness, but gentleness and consideration for others. It doesn't provoke, doesn't compromise, but it doesn't provoke. It thinks about others. It's considerate. And as these first tell, tell us, it should show. Where are we between one and seven? Pure, peace loving, considerate. And then uh, the next one is submissive. It's a challenging word. Are we submissive and compliant and easy to live with? Or do we always want our own way? And are we hard and stubborn? Submissive, true wisdom is submissive. And then true wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. And we should be merciful because God is merciful. We're told to be merciful. We should be those who are bearing fruit, which is good as the as the spirit works in us. It should produce that fruit which shows these qualities. You see, it's all very practical and real. It's not it, it, it shows and should show in our lives. And then I think number six on the list. True wisdom is impartial, undivided, wholehearted. And in chapter one, James has spoken about uh, um, about the double minded man um, and uh, speaks against that. But true wisdom is impartial. And then the last word here, sincere. When wisdom is at work, there is openness and honesty and sincerity. When wisdom is at work in us, there's no pretense trying to be something that we are not. Very challenging, isn't it? I wonder how you score and add up on those. It's all very practical. And it should show who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And as you think about that list of seven things, does it remind you of anyone? You see, if we want to know what true wisdom is like, we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. Do you remember when he was young? Luke chapter two, it speaks of him. It says he grew up and became strong and he was filled with wisdom. 
Paul writing to the Corinthians in chapter one, speaking about Christ, says he is wisdom from God. And again, in the same passage, he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. When Paul writes to the church in Coloss, Colossians two, chapter three, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Christ is the source of all wisdom. Christ is the perfect example of wisdom and demonstration of what true wisdom, God's wisdom, is like. Maybe you've listened as we've gone through those things and thought about that list and just that it just sounds too difficult. But that's why we need Christ. That's why we need to call upon him and come to him. And do you remember James at the beginning of his book in James chapter one, verse five, he says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. Maybe as you totted up your score, as it were, and thought about those things, you thought, I'm not like that. Then you can ask God for wisdom because God gives wisdom. Did you notice in. The psalm which was read at the beginning of the service, it says these words, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. And uh, in the Proverbs, it says, and in Job 28, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How can we fear him this week? What do we need to do to, to be those who fear him? And are changed so that our lives demonstrate this true wisdom that's listed here in these verses. Well, the answer isn't in the world's wisdom. It is in Jesus. It is in fearing the Lord. And how can we become more wise? Well, we need to read his word. God has given us his word. It's uh, I can describe it as his love letter to us. He's given us everything we need. He's given us Christ. He's given us his word. He's told us everything that we need to know. So by reading his word day by day and uh, uh, and, and meditating on it, or thinking about it and discussing it together in our homes or other people as we have opportunity to do that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And as we read his word. We see Jesus. He speaks to us. He changes us. His spirit is at work in us, making us more like Jesus. The best thing that we can do this week to grow in wisdom is to seek Jesus. That last verse of Job 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil, that is understanding. God has given us everything we need in Christ that we might grow in wisdom. And as we do that, what will the outcome be? Well, this last verse of uh, these verses in James chapter three says this peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It seems to be saying that that actually as we grow in wisdom and as we do these things, there will be a harvest of righteousness. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing this week if all of us here growing in wisdom produce a harvest of righteousness, which is seen because that's what it says. It will be seen 
uh, that'd be a wonderful thing if that is what happens during this next week as we seek after Jesus. Let me finish with just one more verse. In Proverbs 3, verse 13, it says this, blessed are those who find wisdom. I think we could change that word blessed to happy. I think there is an element of that in it. Happy are those who find wisdom. In his presence is that fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Let's be those who, with God's help, seek to fear the Lord and uh, grow in wisdom as we do that.